0: This is the Cannacurio Podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license updates directly from the data vault. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Media newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay informed of future episodes and data releases.
1: Welcome to the Cannacurio Podcast powered by Cannabis Media. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. On today's show, we're joined by Kim Stuck, the founder of Ally Consulting. Kim is a longtime cannabis industry veteran and a Jill of all trades. She is the cannabis hemp compliance expert, and we are so excited to have her on the show today. But as always, before we jump in with Kim, let's see what new updates Ed has for us today from the Data Vault. Ed? Ed? Thanks,
2: Amanda. So I was recently working on a blog post about some Virginia hemp dealer licenses that we have in the app. And as I often do, I went back to the application that they need to fill out to get that license because you can always find a lot of things about which direction the regulator wants to head in. And I was a little startled to find uh, like three specific points that they put in there to sort of warn license holders. The first is the Department of Agriculture in Virginia will forward a record of each dealer registration to the local law enforcement officer, the the chief law enforcement officer. In addition, um, they'll notify the superintendent of state police about all the locations of all the industrial hemp dealerships. And then finally, the commissioner of agriculture may advise the superintendent of state police or local law enforcement. Whenever a dealer deals any cannabis with a concentration of THC, that is essentially hot hemp, you know, greater than 0.03%. So uh, I think it's terrific that we have Kim here today, since she's a compliance expert to, you know, help us navigate through this and, uh, you know, other things that we may find in the data vault.
1: Yeah, that seems so specific. And especially with, you know, the law enforcement, I wonder if that's common. And I'm so excited to get her perspective on this. Uh, Thank you for that update, Ed. As I mentioned on today's show, we'll be joined by Kim Stuck of LA Consulting everybody stay tuned
0: Alay consulting is a compliance consulting firm of former cannabis regulators that worked for the local public health authority in denver colorado when cannabis first became legal their hands-on regulatory experience collectively over 31 years provides lessons learned from thousands of cannabis operations Alay works with all cannabis companies and license type to prevent fines create safer products and to gain certifications that can boost their clients from the next level as far as being competitive in this ever-growing market. Please contact them at allaconsulting.com, that's A-L-L-A-Y-consulting.com.
1: Welcome back to the show. Today we're joined by Kim Stuck, the founder of LA Consulting. Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much, Amanda. Of course, we're so so happy to have you on the show. You know, I, I've known you, you know, for quite some time here, uh, just because I'm local to the Colorado market. Uh, but I, I'd love it if you could share just a little bit more about yourself with our audience. Uh, how did you, you start LA and how did you get involved in the industry?
3: yeah so um, previously i worked for ddphe which is like the denver local health department Um, i was a restaurant health inspector and then cannabis became legal um, while i was there and recreationally legal so this was i think 2014 Um, and you know they needed a team to take on cannabis and actually regulate it the way you know fda would regulate it making sure that edibles and tinctures and things like that um, were actually safe for human consumption uh, and just make sure that those kitchens were running at a standard that wasn't going to poison anybody or, you know, hurt anybody or make anybody sick. So um, it was a really cool opportunity for me and I absolutely loved it. I got to um, really crash course and learn a whole lot from the industry um, while I was a regulator. And then in 2017, um, you know, after much Uh, thought and prep, I decided to start my own consulting company. Um, I just felt that I could do a whole lot more for the industry. I kind of fell in love with the industry. I absolutely love my industry so much um, and the people in it. And I just realized that I could do a lot more good for the industry as a whole um, if I was, you know, not a regulator and doing more for them. So it was really exciting.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, You're you have such a very interesting background that, you know, gives you such uh, key insights into how to actually help these businesses. And, you know, before the, the break, Ed and I were discussing the Virginia hemp uh, language that was, you know, added to, um, you know, this bill. And we'd love to kind of get your perspective. It seems odd to me that the program is spelled out so clearly, especially uh, regarding law enforcement involvement. Um, is that common for hemp programs that you've seen or, or worked with? Over the last few years,
3: yeah. So this particular writing um, isn't, you know, in a whole lot of other states, um, but it makes sense. So you have to think about, you know, we're in this industry and we understand this industry. We understand that hemp growers are not trying to grow THC; uh, they are really trying to grow, you know, whatever they're trying to do. Usually, high CBD, high CBG, high CBN. You know, those kinds of things are really what they're selling. Um, along with textiles and you know hempcrete and things like that, um, when you come from outside of the industry and from you know a more biased perspective, because for years and years and years, all of these people have been told that cannabis is just going to ruin our society and it's terrible for people, and THC is very demonized, and so they're really afraid that um, hemp growers are going to grow a high. THC plant and sell it on the black market. And I think that that's really where these regulations come from. So they're just essentially telling growers, you know, if you're going to grow something that is outside of what you are allowed to grow, the the police will know about it, you know, the local law enforcement, and that's their way of just like making sure that nobody is going to be doing anything that, you know, isn't above board um i don't think it's necessary by any means Um, most people in the industry are like that's ridiculous but you know most of our hemp growers are doing a good job of keeping those numbers down and um, should be okay
2: yeah i mean the way i look at it is somewhat similar is that the regulator is communicating very clearly how they want to regulate this crop and it may come across as heavy-handed but it's not ambiguous so you know if you think about the regulator and and the hemp farmers, it's really um, a transaction essentially between the two. And uh, this is how they want to just make sure that it's clear. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out. I I don't imagine we're going to see a lot of violations in that state, but I I, I might be wrong. But
3: yeah, things happen. No, it's okay. Sometimes things happen. Um, I hope that there won't be any violations, but um, and then, you know, knowing where hemp growers are at, that's pretty common. So even in Colorado, um, the local police office and, and you know, like different, um, like state regulators, they all speak to each other. And so they all know where the addresses are of all of, you know, the MIPS in Denver or in Colorado. Um, and that's mm. really common, but that list isn't usually shared with, you know, the entire world. It's usually just internal agency, just so everybody knows.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, uh, just taking a step back in terms of compliance consulting, you know, how do you define it? Because compliance can be really, really broad. And, and, you know, who do you work with? Is it people who have a license? They're trying to get a license? People who may have lost a license? Like, you know, how, how do you define your market?
3: Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Um, cons- uh, compliance is a word that could mean financial compliance or, you know, whatever, um, HR compliance. Um, we don't do any of that. We really stick with what we know. So when we say um, compliance, we're thinking more of a federal level of compliance with cannabis. Um, so FDA, OSHA, Fire Code, um, we also do GMP certification assistance and ISO certification assistance. So, really, what a LA lay consulting does is um, health and safety, QA for product, um, and then obviously worker safety because OSHA, as I'm sure you know, can find very heavily um, and you want to take care of your workers. So it's, it's a really important thing that is starting to be um, really common.
2: So in terms of those specific types of regulators that you work with, as I remember from my days in publishing, certain states can go above and beyond what the FDA says. That's usually the baseline or, or OSHA, sorry, OSHA. So like the state of Washington, if I remember, has a rather comprehensive safety set of rules. So do you have to manage that as well uh, in addition to the sort of standard OSHA regs?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So each um, each of our clients is in a different state. I think we're in 19 different states at this point. Um, and we can work in all 50. So we usually work towards that baseline OSHA standard. Um, Most of our clients don't have anything implemented when we first walk in. So we usually go to that OSHA standard when we're working with worker safety um, and then whatever their state standards are, if there's more needed, then we will help them get to that point as well.
2: Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So one question that I had that came to mind now that we're still, sadly, in this COVID uh, situation is, you know, is a lot of your work on site? And and if so, what has that been like in terms of COVID?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's been interesting. Um, but honestly, you know, we are only based in two states right now, or, you know, our offices, quote unquote, are in two states right now. And we work in all these other states. so. Usually, if somebody wants a one-time audit, you know, we do like to be on site. That's that's the preferred method, obviously. Um, but once COVID hit, you know, I really you know, care about my team. Um, I don't want them getting sick, and I would hate to be the person that goes in and gets everybody sick in one of our clients' facilities. Um, so, you know, we started doing virtual audits, and essentially we use Skype or FaceTime or something like that. Um, and they walk us through the facility, and we, you know, do the same thing. We write a report. Um, all of our other stuff that we do, though, we create documentation, SOPs, hazard plans, food safety plans, hazard communication plans. All of that we've um, really worked out to do remotely because we're not only, you know, focused on. Hey, this is, you know, these are the things we can do, but we also want to limit the amount of money that our clients have to pay. I mean, we don't want to have to fly out all the time because that can get really expensive. So we've worked a really good system where we can do most of what we do remotely. Um, and so that really worked when COVID happened, almost nothing changed except for those on-site audits. Um, and now we're just doing them, uh, virtually if we can.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, in terms of regulators, you listed a lot that you cover uh, and you have the certification for all that, but I'm sure our listeners would like to know what are the most common problems that you're asked to solve? I mean, you've got clients in 19 different states with 19 sets of rules and regulation, but what's the overlap like?
3: Yeah, so I mean, uh, for the most part when with our stuff, um, FDA and OSHA, those are federal regulations, right? So people are, a lot of the THC cannabis clients that we have, because we also work with the hemp cannabis clients Um, and you know they're becoming federally legal so hemp has to start worrying about FDA and OSHA very very soon Um, and if they get in compliance with you know 111 or 117 CFR um, for FDA, you know, they're going to be in really good shape when those regulations start coming out because the FDA is not going to reinvent the wheel and da da da. So, right now, you know, that's for the hemp side, they're all calling us because they want to get in compliance before the FDA and OSHA starts knocking on their door. Um, for the THC side, I feel like a lot of people are really interested. Um, in the certifications. Um, GMP and ISO certifications, you know, they look really good when a, when a um, facility does that. And, you know, with THC, they're only statewide. Um, you know, they're not going federal yet. So it looks really good when they are, you know, getting compliant with those federal standards and can put, hey, we're GMP certified on our website and all this stuff. So it's almost, a, they're a little more about marketing. Whereas the hemp side right now is a little more about, we just want to make sure we're in compliance so we can keep the doors open, <laughs> you know, when it, all this hits comes to fruition. And with those
2: GMP certifications, those ones that are sort of more nationally recognized or even internationally, does that position some of these, like on a hemp side, these cultivators to be in, in the right space for like an export license at some point? Like, you know, they're seeing it as a way to sort of expand their marketplace.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, we've already, we already have clients that won't buy oil or plant matter from anybody that isn't you know GMP certified, just because they want a GMP certified product, um, and they want to make sure that everything that they're putting into their facility is to that same standard. Um, you know, we ha- we don't have a lot of grows that are GMP certified yet, but we're working on it. Um, there, some of them are coming through. Um, but mostly manufacturers are concerned about it. GMP is kind of the base level of certification. Um, most people who have ISO 22,000 and 9001, those are the ones that can export eventually. I mean, obviously right now things are kind of up in the air, um, but eventually it will be a a global market and those, those are the certifications you want to go for if that's what your goal is.
2: So, you know, with the FDA coming in and with your background in, in, in food and that type of compliance, I'm curious how the regulatory framework, you know, through your eyes, through your prism, is similar or different to other things you, that you've dealt with. Like, oh, they're handling this just like they did echinacea, and C, you know, that's the route that CBD is going to go down. Like, you know, are they getting to that point yet, or is it still a lot of new regulations and stuff that you haven't seen in, in other places before?
3: Yeah, no, definitely. So what we did in the city, um, when we were, you know, when I was a regulator was we took already existing regulations and applied them to the cannabis industry. Obviously we ran into a lot of things that, um, are very different from every other, uh, industry that there is because cannabis is very unique in itself. You know, the way extraction works, the way the plant needs to be handled, you know, you can't, you know, with oranges, you can take the oranges and wash them before, Processing or doing something with it with cannabis plant. You can't do that. So you have to put things in place I mean, that's just an example Um, But yeah, I mean it's food safety is food safety Um, I think that what they're gonna do eventually is apply many of the already existing food safety regulations to the cannabis industry and then maybe have a small chapter that is just cannabis that will you know take care of some of all the issues that we're finding that are different from other industries.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, I know uh, a few years ago we wrote a book on sort of all the compliance data that we learned and looking at all the states as we gathered data. And as I looked at a lot of the advertising uh, regulations, I realized that they just sort of took it out of another playbook. I mean, they just sort of erased it and put in cannabis and you know, they were just trying to protect Children and youth from advertising they shouldn't see, and we see that in other places. So it seems like the regulators uh, are are pretty savvy about that. You don't need to always reinvent the wheel. Um, The last question I wanted to ask, at least for this segment, is kind of a case study. So, one of the things that cannabis media does is gather news about the 100,000 plus licenses we have in the database, and we tie it back to Whatever company you know might have been in the news, and uh, about two weeks ago, we reported that an Oklahoma-based company called Moonmix uh, was asked to shut down and was fined over half a million dollars by the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. Apparently they had products that tested way above the legal pesticide limits, and um, the regulator said that you know these guys hadn't tested, and on 15 occasions had bought marijuana without first obtaining test results. So they got shut down. So if uh, Moonmix uh, had been your client before this, not after, before, how how would you have advised them so that they didn't fall into this you know really bad situation of essentially losing their license?
3: Yeah, so I've seen this a whole lot. Um, In fact, I was part of most of the investigations in Denver, Colorado that resulted um, in recalls due to pesticide contamination, because that was one of the things that we ran into that honestly, in the beginning, we didn't even think about, um, because that's very different than an apple plant or an apple tree or something like that, Um, you know, these pesticides being used and them being dangerous um, to, you know, public health. And so you know this is really common we um, have a very strict testing rule we actually implement into the, our clients facilities exactly what they should be testing um, we have manager approval for every single time a coa comes in and nothing can be used unless that coa um, is actually you know correct and there with the product um, this sounds like a case of hey guys we want to save some money because testing is very expensive um and maybe or maybe it just fell through the cracks um you know testing is definitely hard to do because it is expensive and sometimes if you're not managed correctly um, or don't have a good batch number system to track and trace everything that's when you run into issues so we like to implement those kinds of things right away um you know and that kind of thing so um you know and a coa is essentially just the testing results um it's, you know, really important that we have those and um, have them and and keep them for a really long time. So we have all of our um, clients keep all of their COAs for a really long time.
1: That's actually perfect because uh, Ed and I were just uh, slacking each other wondering, what does COA stand for? So thank you. Thank you for clar- clarifying that, Kim. Um, now you know, in terms of LA, bigger picture here. You guys recently opened up a new office in Oregon. Uh, why Oregon, and any plans for for new expand other state expansion this year?
3: Yeah, Amanda, and it's, it stands for Certificate of Analysis. I apologize. <laughs> I should have just said that. But yeah, it's just the testing results is what a COA is. Um, Yeah. So Oregon, um, well, they, I first, personally, I love Oregon um, and was flying there fairly often because we have several clients out there. Um, It's a huge, huge market for the hemp side of things. In fact, they have more hemp per capita in Oregon than anywhere else in the United States. Um, And, you know, we were seeing a lot of trends of, People not understanding the regulations or what's coming forward, or you know, not being ready for the storm that's coming. And so, um, we kind of, as a as a team, made a decision um, to expand to Oregon. And I actually personally moved there because I was kind of trying to find an excuse to move there anyway. <laughs> and it really worked out. So now we're out there. Um, so our clients don't have to pay as much to fly us out to go to on sites out there. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to continue to expand to different states and actually have um, locations. Obviously, since I've been out there since December, I've been pretty much just working from home because uh, of COVID. But you know, it's it's been a re- it's a really good market for us. Um, we really love the state. There's a whole lot of people out there that needs you know help and stuff like that, just like every other state. But um, you know, trying to position ourselves to make it easier for our clients and less expensive for our clients to see us more often is always a goal of ours.
1: Yeah, understood. And you know, Oregon is such a a gorgeous place. I can uh, definitely empathize as to why you'd want to move there. I do love Denver, Colorado. I am kind of biased. But um, as a current user, what would you say is your favorite feature of the cannabis media platform?
3: Yeah, so um, we have a sales representative that usually is the one that's in there. Um, I kind of leave stuff to him and he kind of tweaks around. Um, But what I really like is the um, email templates. Uh, They're actually really easy to put together and you can really um, cater to whatever audience you're talking to. You know, you can check a box that says, you know, this is for THC cannabis. People that are only doing manufacturing, and we can send an email to them um, that you know is about GMP, where they should be really focused on food safety or food safety plans or CAPA plans, which um, those are coming up, as, especially in Colorado, they're going to be required um, on the first of next year. So, you know, we were kind of doing a push for Kappa plans, trying to get those in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just really like how you can cater your message to the people, you know, that you want to reach out to.
1: Absolutely, and we'll definitely uh, keep you updated uh, because we'll actually be um, updating a bunch of records with uh, individual violation uh, violation recalls within the platform. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that.
2: Yeah, um, so uh, right now I think we probably have 4,500 violations stored in the system, a lot from Washington. They do the best in terms of uh, sharing that. Alaska also does a pretty good job. Other states, you have to ask for them, or you'll never see them. So they're a little bit harder to get, but uh, still often informative. And it's always interesting to see, you know, how big those dollars are on some of the fines. Um, but one of the last uh, questions I have is looking ahead. So. We have an election less than 100 days away in november and a number of states are contemplating uh med and or rec programs and i'm just curious if there's anything on your radar yet like is it too early because you haven't seen the regs or you know any thoughts as you look forward to these uh, handful of states or so that that may be adding it uh as, as part of their regulatory infrastructure
3: well i mean i kind of think that cannabis is like pandora's box um <laughs> every single election time that comes up every time every year um you know new states are going to come on board i mean they're looking at states like california and you know oregon and nevada and colorado obviously that you know are making a lot of tax money and doing really great things for their state Um, and right now you know the economic hardships that we're going through were completely unseen um, with COVID and everything, I wouldn't be surprised if a whole bunch of states um, came online and started to legalize it because it's a really great way to get that economy back going and to get more tax money, um, you know, instead of, you know, not bringing in as much because people are unemployed and things like that. Um, I think it's a good alternative and I think it's a great time to do it. Um you know, eventually it will be federally legal, as I've already said, um, one by one each state is kind of legalizing um, and eventually the federal government will also you know, jump on the bandwagon and get it done. I, it's just a matter of time and you just never know how long it's going to take.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Only time, time will tell come November. But um, thank you so much for joining us on today's show, Kim. It was a a pleasure uh, getting to know more about uh, the kind of new age of GMP uh, and FDA OSHA certifications coming into the cannabis and hemp sector. um, And we really do appreciate your time today.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: All right, Ed, let's take a look ahead. What updates do we have to look forward to coming from the Data Vault? So,
2: right now we've got a lot of updates coming. So, the states that we're looking at now uh, include California, where the CDPH has just responded to our request for updated information. They had been one of the states or one of the regulators that had shut down uh, a lot of their public information. So, we've got a whole new batch of that coming in. Also, Alberta, up in Canada, has changed how they disseminate information. It used to be the information would appear and then disappear after two weeks. (laughs) Made it really hard to stay on top of. Uh, So they've changed that, so we're updating that. Uh, We also have updates coming in for Washington Cannabis. And then on the hemp side, we got new information back from both Florida, and we have additional hemp information coming in from Virginia too that'll include cultivators as well as processors.
1: Wow, lots of updates coming from North America, it looks like. Thanks for the update, Ed. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault.
0: Thanks for listening to the Canna podcast by Cannabis Media. Stay up to date with the latest episodes of the podcast and get alerts on the latest licensing activity in the United States and Canada as well as exclusive industry insights by signing up for the Cannabis Media Licensing Newsletter at cannabis.media/newsletter